Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus. Zen is your go-to for stress, relief and balance. And Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine buzz without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SaturnReturns at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code Saturn Returns. Enjoy. When we gasp for air through our mouth, the times we do that is an emergency. Step off the pavement, onto the road, and a cyclist is about to hit me, what do I do? <gasps> If we're spending our day talking a lot, breathing through our mouth, talking a lot, breathing through our mouth, singing, we're just triggering the stress response. <laughs> Sounds exhausting. <laughs> no wonder I'm so anxious all the time. <laughs> In today's episode, we discuss the power of breathwork and I am joined by my friend, Stuart Sandman, also known as Breathpod. He shares his very personal story into discovering this work and the profound journey he had. Now, breathing seems like a simple thing that we are all doing all the time and therefore probably gets quite little attention. But after this conversation, I was kind of transfixed by everything he had to say because even though it seemed obvious once he said it, 
I had never really thought about it before. As someone that does struggle with anxiety from time to time, I found this episode really useful. And also just a really touching conversation with someone that I feel like sometimes I meet certain people and it's a really beautiful thing when you meet them at a point in their life where they have been through something really tragic and really heartbreaking, but it's put them on a path to their destiny. And they are alchemizing that pain and doing something really magical with it in the world. And I really think Stuart's one of those people that has a mission in life. Like it was what he was supposed to be doing. And I think that, yeah, just hearing his story, I mean, I barely, I barely had to speak in this conversation because it just flowed through him so naturally. And yeah, I'm not gonna say too much more because I think I, I just want you to experience it because it was very touching. And there were moments where I felt incredibly moved by what he had to say. And it is a very, very sad story. Um, I'm not gonna share too much more. You'll hear it in the episode. But like I said, I think it's really beautiful when someone can demonstrate how they have turned their struggle and their heartbreak into not only their personal strength, but also with sharing it with the world and healing the world, you know, going around and allowing people to have these transformative experiences themselves and unlock their trauma and unearth old emotion all through the power of breath. And I can't wait to share this episode with you because I feel like it's something that everyone can take away from and everyone can start actioning immediately. And it's something that I am definitely trying to give more attention and energy to and really notice how that impacts me and how I can manage certain things a lot better when I just tune into my breath. So before we get into this beautiful episode with Stuart, let's check in with our astrological guide, Nora. In Vedic astrology and Ayurveda, every planet has an element tied to it. For Saturn, it's the air element which is interesting considering it rules both an Earth sign, Capricorn, and an air sign, Aquarius. When Saturn makes itself known in our lives, especially during Saturn return or when it goes into the center of our moon sign, for example, we experience both challenges in the material realm, which relates to the Earth element, as well as challenges in the mental realm, which relates to the air element. Through the challenges we experience, through the inevitable process of transmuting events that break our hearts, have us catch our breath and challenge our thoughts and belief systems, we learn that in every difficulty, there is a wisdom to be learned if we open our hearts and our minds to it. Because of Saturn's connection to the air element, in India, for example, a widespread practice called pranayama has become ingrained in the culture and spiritual practices in the pursuit to not only help preserve our life force, but also in helping it flow, which in turn balances the body and the mind, which reduces a lot of mental issues, anxiety, a lot of things that just relate to the mental realm. In India, they call this life force prana, which from Sanskrit translates to breath. It's the breath that sustains us. It's rhythm that warns us. So whenever Saturn comes around, and teaches us through heartbreaks, pains, and challenge, 
we must remember to not only find the silver lining of it all, but also to sustain our life force and incorporate a practice in our daily routine that consciously helps us to not only treasure, but also to remember the art of breathing. Welcome to the Saturn Returns podcast. Thank you. I'm Pleasure very, to be here. I'm very excited for this conversation because, well, I feel like I've known you a very long time, probably because I know Nova, but we kind of connected quite recently at Founders Forum. Yeah. And anyway, today we are going to be talking about your book and breathwork, which is something that I have, I'm not going to lie, I haven't been practicing it recently. But I, I told you before we started recording that my boyfriend has. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. And he's been going to like breathwork classes and stuff like that. So just to kind of bring it back to the beginning, how did you get into this work? I got into this work kind of like happy accident. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I wasn't happy at, at first, but the outcome has been. Uh, I came to breathing through grief. My girlfriend was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Before that, I was working in music. And um, when she passed away, I moved back to Scotland where I'm from. I was in a really bad headspace, as you could probably imagine. And all that happened was I took my mum for Mother's Day to a breathing class. I was kind of last minute gift and went along to this breathing class and had a really, really profound experience. And it kind of changed the course. I think when you have one of these powerful experiences and that was it for me, I basically yeah went to this class with my mum, not really knowing what breathwork was. This was seven years ago. It, it wasn't really a thing and um, had a huge release. Basically, I felt like my girlfriend was there holding my hand as well who wow. went after she passed away which was really bizarre, really amazing, really powerful, really uh, cathartic. I bawled my eyes out and um, realized that after that, I thought, right, either I'm going mad, either uh, someone spiked my drink before that breathwork class and they were not the type to do that, (laughs) Um, or something special happened in that sort of hour and a half class. So I kind of went with the latter and I started looking, um, well, working closely with that type of breathwork and the teachers, trying to find out answers to see if this was this a one-off, what just happened. And the more I practiced, the more I uncovered, the more I kind of found out that there was this really amazing tool that we can, that we all have to help work through life challenges. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was me. It was really through grief that I came to breathwork. Absolutely changed um, my whole outlook my energy my mindset my life my sleep um and i just couldn't believe the physical um shifts the mind shifts but also the transformation that happened and the the connection to something much bigger than myself Mm -hmm. like feeling that my girlfriend was there saying this is where i was meant to be which was quite hard at first but yeah, then I just opened this door to see, well, what else is out there with breathing? And, and if it's helped me so much, I'm sure it could help a lot more people. Yeah. And that's where I set off kind of on my route to find out as much as possible could about breathing and setting up my business and, and breath pods and then writing a book about it as well now. Wow. That is a, I mean, that's a huge thing to go through. Yeah, it, it was. It was um, It's funny looking back, maybe why I said a happy accident, because... 
looking back, it was the toughest thing I've been through. But I look back and it was quite a beautiful experience. And I don't know if that's because I've worked through the, the trauma and the grief. And I look back and I think when she was sick, it brought us together in a way that people, like it was really, really tough and challenging. And we, and we um, looked at all these deep questions as well. Why are we here? Where do we go when we die? What happens? And these were things that we talk about. What what do people believe happens after death? So we, we it really opened this space um, when she was sick about looking at the body, how do we beat this thing? And looking at the mind, looking at um, our emotions, what's going on. So already a lot of the training happened, I guess, when she was sick. I really looked at a lot of these different things and looked at so many different teachings, both conventional medicine stuff for cancer, but also all the alternatives that are out there. And it opened the door to this whole world that I, well, I've been too busy to look at before that. And how long were you guys together for by that point? If you don't we were together asking. about three years, okay. two, three years, yeah. And so when you guys found that out, I'm sure your entire world just completely changed in a moment. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd never expect the kind of string of events and I've, I've always been quite an optimistic person. So yeah. she found a little lump on her on her chest, a little pea-sized lump, went to the doctor, let's get it removed, let's get a scan, had, had the scan results back. Yes, it's cancerous. Let's get some more scans. Yes, it's spread. Yes, it's quite aggressive. So it, it kind of went like that. And I, I still remember because we were actually in Hong Kong at the time and then she was, she was from New York. She went over to the States when got this diagnosis because she was like, let's get back to where I've got family and, and everybody, yeah. support network. And yeah, we saw some specialists there and they said, look, it's spread. It's in your spleen, your liver, your spine, your brain. And yeah, at, at that point they said, well, you've not really, it's like 18 months-ish. It's, it's quite, it, we, we can try and delay it, but it's going to happen. Um, which is quite a hard thing to hear. But again, as the kind of optimist, I was like, well, we'll beat it. We're going to beat the odds. We're going to be those people that defy the odds and turn this around and let's find the best people. Let's look at alternatives. Let's not just listen to this train of thought. And that's, that is quite a scary thing, but it felt okay. We felt like, right, we're here. But there was just this in the back of your mind, like the, the clock ticking down. Because you go down one route of alternatives, um, with that optimism, with that optimism, and then you get more scans, and it's like, ah, oh, it's it's things seem seem to be going okay, but we're not sure. And we had flooded with support from both sides, everyone wanting the best, but everybody sharing what their solution is. Yeah. And that that is on one hand amazing that we had all the support, but, but everyone's just, pointing you in a different direction. Yeah, everyone's like, "Oh, go and try this, or go and see this. Fly to Brazil and speak to this guy. He's saved all these people." Or, and then you also have to... this very real thing of time. You know, and then so... the time ticking down, and yeah. the doctors saying, "No, no, no, go and do this route. This will this will give you two years instead of this year potentially, or try out this new medicine." Or then we're like, maybe we'll try some immunotherapy, which is quite new at that point. I know it's actually been rolled out quite a lot for cancer treatments now. And there were certain places that were doing it, trying to get onto different trials. But at the point, which was opened a, a, 
an interesting world as well of her being too sick to join certain trials yeah. because they wanted, they didn't want people to die who were on the trial because they wanted the medicine to go through. So it kind of opened this like really bizarre medical world of like what is the best route when we're actually trying to save somebody mm-hmm. as opposed to um, certain medications getting props up or, prop, or, or, or chosen to be used for different things. And we ended up in Taiwan of all places. Wow. and doing treatment there and she had massive signs of recovery and that was I was like yeah I'm doing it and yeah and then I, I actually left because I had an issue going on in my flat in in Scotland that I had to sort and that's when she passed away which was yeah hard as well so um yeah it was an interesting ride but I think like all these experiences which we all have in our lives. Like everybody goes through different things and different challenges at different points. And they do make us learn and grow. And you do look back. And if it is even having to work through that grief or work through that sadness or work through that guilt or weight of an experience and finding the tools really, really help. And for me, breathing was the... Like, okay. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how something that was with us through that whole time of searching, it was like we're searching outside of ourselves, that what can we take? What can we get? What can we see? What can we do? But we had this thing called breathing with us the whole time. It's it's funny because I think about it in, when I'm talking just now, like thinking about somebody's last breath, how the breath just leaves the body mm-hmm. or that first breath we take when we're in the cords cut from our mom and we breathe in and the breath lands in the body. And for me, our breath is like the spirit that's encased in this human experience. And it lands, is anchored in our root and it's there. And it, we dance with this breath 20,000 times a day until the breath decides to leave. And then the breath leaves the body moves off. Mm, and that's that. the way I kind of see it in terms of breathing. So if we want to really stay here and we do have something that we wish to do, achieve, or we want to uncover our, like, be healthy, if we can start to anchor our breath back into our body. And I, this was like, just like, started off as a kind of whimsical thing that came to me. And the more I started working with people, I was doing a lot of sessions with um, people with cancer and working with a charity in London and doing sessions weekly with cancer patients. And I'd see that their breath was kind of leaving their body. And the more that we anchored the breath back down, like get the breath back in and get them really grounded, get the breath back in the body, they start to feel a bit better or start to have better recovery or like won't feel as much pain. And so it, it's anecdotal, but it's there's definitely something there around it, which makes a little bit of sense when we start looking at more science around that as well, yeah. in terms of if you're stressed or we're breathing short in our chest and if we're going to be stressed and it's going to trigger parts of our body and it's going to affect our longevity. Yeah. But if we can ground our breath, we can certainly be here and be here a little bit longer. It's so interesting because the way, I mean, the way you just explained it is so beautiful and so poetic. And thank you for sharing that story. But it's one of those things where it also seems so obvious when you put it like that. And yet we're completely disconnected and we're like that can't possibly solve you know these experiences that I'm having or help ease whatever I'm going through because I think people just 
don't really give it much thought. I, I've got a friend that's like, I don't even notice, but sometimes I stop breathing because mm. I'm thinking about, you know, something and or something stressing them out. So how did you end up going to that breathwork class with your mum? Like, because obviously you said that you were going, trying out these different things. Was breathwork always already something that you guys had been thinking about or exploring or no? Not at all, no. I think if somebody said, just, just breathe, just breathe through your cancer or go and do some breathing, that will help. That will exactly. cure your cancer. Yeah. I would have stuck my fingers up and said, <laughs> speak some sense. Like, come on, get me a real doctor or um, let's, let's find something else. How I actually ended up in that class was I was meeting my mum for Mother's Day. Tiff passed away on Valentine's Day, which again was quite a tough day for it to happen. And it was Mother's Day to like, a month later, a bit over a month, I think it landed like seven weeks or something that that year. And I was meeting my mum for Mother's Day. Typical me, I actually hadn't got anything organised and I'm flapping around like, ah, oh, and just jumped on Facebook and something popped up, breathing workshop. Don't know where I found it, don't know how I found it, don't know what it was there, I didn't know what it was about. My mum is a yoga instructor, so I thought, Breathing, yoga, Mother's Day, tick, tick, tick. Perfect. Sorted. Bought two tickets and it was for the following weekend. That was it. That's as far as I thought about it. I was like, Mum, we're going to go to the breathing class next weekend. She was happy. I was happy. Great. Went along. And I went along to that class and it wasn't so much skepticism. I just felt like I'd done so much stuff and nothing had worked to cure cancer. So I felt like the alternative world, I was a bit tatent, like I just didn't, everyone had the cure to cancer and nobody, we couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. And so I've been kind of worn thin with different practices. So when I went into that class, I was like, oh, it's one of these sitting in a sharing circle. I was just like, ah, oh, and I was there, just there for my mum. Mm -hmm. And then had this really, really, profound experience. And my mum had an equally profound experience, nothing to do with me or nothing to do with anything around this. It was more about her childhood, wow. um, which which is interesting in itself. So that's what brought me there. And yeah, and it was more the, the power and the shift that happened in that session that made me want to go and do more mm -hmm. to see if it was a one-off, to see if it was, maybe I was like, maybe it's just something to do with grief and that was my imagination. So I was still questioning yeah. a lot of these things. And what's interesting, is something Tiff said was when when it was nearing end at different points because she was having seizures at one point and then she got better and that's when I left. But at one point she was like, well, you know what, if this is my fate and we've been doing lots of kind of research on like different religions, what's out there, what's um, what happens when we die? Where do we go? What is, is it just nothingness or is there something beyond this human experience? And she'd always, she said, well, this is like the ultimate science experiment. If I pass, I'll let you know. Oh my God. And there's been so many things that have happened. That makes sense. Yeah, there's so many things that happened afterwards that are just beyond human experience, mm -hmm. including a lot of it would happen in my breathwork sessions, mm -hmm. like literally feeling like she's there holding my hand and just like talking be like yeah this is what we're looking for this is where we are this is what you got to go do now this is the answer we're looking for it's breathing it connects everybody it's like this wave i've been talking before about this anchoring in your own human experience but i breathe out so right now we're sitting here you breathing in 
it's going through your lungs, through your heart, through your body, then you breathe it out and I'm breathing it in. Mm -hmm. It's like super intimate. Mm -hmm. And that's happening not just in this close proximity, but it's happening with airflow around the whole street and around the whole city. There's a bit in my book, I actually share the maths behind crude assumptions around statistics, but I share the maths behind in a day, when we're looking at stats, it's likely that you'll breathe at least one molecule of oxygen of every single person on the planet. Not just every single person on the planet living right now, but- Germophobes are freaking out (laughs) at that. (laughs) I know, this is it. not, Not just every person on the planet right now, but every person that's ever lived on the planet. And this is, I mean, there's crude assumptions around airflow, um, but when we're looking at the stats of how many people on the planet, how many people have ever been on the planet, and how many molecules of oxygen we breathe in a breath, then we can figure all out. I put all the maths actually in the book in like a fact box, um, because I found it so fascinating thinking about that, but also trying to see if it's possible. And it Mm. is, it is possible. So... When we start looking at breath and breathing, when I start having these amazing experiences that were answering a lot of questions about life and death and where do we go and what is it and what, how do we access higher realms and space and how can we do that? It, I was accessing this and it's not just me, I've kind of given sharing my experience, but since my experience now sharing this work with thousands of other people, it comes up time and time it, again. Yeah. I witness it time and time again people having these really profound experiences. Um, I had one recently after the book launch, we did a book launch event and somebody shared at the end of the session, I'd like to um, say that I've just let go. I've just released the grief for my dad who died when I was nine years old. And what was so heartbreaking when she was sharing that story was she was like in her seventies or something and she's lived her whole life. She said in that hour, he came, he grabbed her toe and said, I'm off now. And and she shared that and the whole room was in tears at the end. And, and what was so sad about it was she had been holding on to the weight, that trapped emotion of grief since she was nine years old because she wasn't allowed to grieve. Mm. She didn't give, she wasn't um, the world that she was living in, her family, her friends, whatever the situation was, didn't give her the space to feel. So what did she do? She trapped, trapped her emotion, which emotion is just energy in motion. I mean, we don't allow it to have its motion. It gets stagnant. It's there. Now, with emotion, our breath moves. So when we emote, if we tear, if, if let's use grief, if we're feeling a, a sensation of grief, that will build up, that energy, the chemistry will change in our body and we'll usually burst into tears. So we have that integration cycle. We have this full cycle. And you shared the person on your podcast talked about the alchemy. But the alchemy, yeah, that alchemy changes and we have this cycle and we have a release, an emotional release. Harvard research says that emotional release takes 90 seconds to complete. So when we have an experience, we feel an experience, our breath moves and we emote. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're not allowed to emote, either because we don't think it's appropriate to feel like it's not appropriate to burst out laughing at this person or it's not appropriate to cry at work in front of my colleagues or it's in our household it's not appropriate to cry in front of whatever whatever the 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 patterns were 
they could be it could be very conscious oh, i don't want this to come up or we do that a lot as well if it's like oh just sorry i'm, I'm just give me a moment and we and also hold we our say breath. to each other oh, don't cry don't cry don't cry you know, it's, it's okay like we constantly uh, even though it's we think we're being supportive it's kind of pushing it down even more you know yeah well a baby gets shushed not to cry when you were just explaining that what came to mind i just went to visit a friend who's got two young girls and i was observing sort of the two-year-old crying at all these different things and you know if the way that a child does like you know it gets something will happen it will have an experience and the emotion will come and it will just be a deluge of it and it will come out and then they'll kind of calm down but then we learn to regulate our systems because we obviously can't really function in a society if everyone's going around having a tantrum when they're getting told it's bedtime or whatever. <laughs> so what's the kind of balance there? Because on one hand, it feels like you're saying that actually the fact that we train ourselves out of doing that and do learn to regulate our sort of emotional state means that we're getting it trapped. Yeah. So when you were saying that, I was just having visions of kind of full-grown men and women <laughs> tantrum because they're Favorite. I think mean, I still do sometimes, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Crying on the floor of Sainsbury's. Ah, they don't have my ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think a toddler is still quite free in their emotions and they will have those tantrums. And then we start to realise it's not okay to fully feel our emotions in certain situations. Mm-hmm. And we do conform. And the way we conform when we feel an emotional surge is we hold our breath. Mm. we hold our breath to stop the emotional flow and the emotion gets trapped okay so an example could be holding back laughter we cover our mouth we stop the flow of laughter holding back tears we we hold our breath to stop the tears holding back anger we'll hold back the anger um, and stop that flowing so that's that's how we do it and if you hold back the emotion gets trapped so what we can do is actually breathe through the emotion I, I often I share this in the book. I've shared it on my radio show as well. Um, recognize, breathe, reframe. Mm-hmm. So how do we recognize in a situation what we're going through? I'm feeling this certain surge of energy moving through my body. Where do I feel it? Or I might feel it here, might feel it there. It's anger. Okay, what do I want to do right now? So you recognize what you want to do. Well, the natural reaction might be to throw your phone at the wall you say, well, let's not do that right now. That's not appropriate. But allow our breath to move. It may sound abstract. You can allow your breath to move in the flow of what intuitively feels right for that emotion. So the anger might be like, <sighs> sort of spat everywhere. Um, but the anger might be oh, like a shake it off. Like, maybe some movement. <sighs> Using our breath to, to allow that emotional flow to still happen mm-hmm. without trapping it. Mm then you can cognitively reframe like Mm -hmm. is there a better way in this solution is that now that i've calmed myself down i've given myself the 90 seconds because 90 seconds is what how long it takes to process an emotion from start to finish so we felt it we breathe through it yeah we allow it to pass and then when it's passed over the 90 seconds that breathing might take or shaking i'm using anger as an example i'll give maybe another example but we shake it off breathe it out and then go, is there a better way? Okay, what could mm. I do here? Well, yes, let's not throw my phone at the wall. Let's just think about what I need to do in this situation. And we just reframe it in that moment. That's so helpful. I think that's going to be such a useful tool for people listening. Because I actually, I 
I'm a very, I mean, we're all emotional beings, but I, I do cry quite a lot and I'm super sensitive. And I, you know, my boyfriend's amazing and he loves that about me and is able to kind of hold space for my whole emotional kind of landscape. But recently um, we were out and something had unsettled me. That was nothing, like he hadn't done anything. It was a historical thing that I'd sort of been felt triggered by. And I could feel that emotion and that sort of like prickly feeling and that heat all over my body mm. coming where I was like, I'm gonna cry. But because we were in a social place, we were out sitting outside a restaurant, I was like, I can't cry. But instead, and I've never done this before, but I was like, I'm just gonna take like 10 breaths and see what happens. So I just, but I had to look away from my boyfriend. So I just like, looked, I was just staring straight in his face. He was like, what are you doing? And I just took these breaths and like, I could feel the emotion kind of there on the surface, but it didn't erupt. It mm. kind of just passed. And then I did calm down and I was like, okay, that's something I could do. Cause I, like for me it is, and I think a lot of people listening will find the same, like when I, a bit like a child does, like when something sets off, like I either want to stop breathing, like you say, yeah. or it will kind of erupt. And so I think that's super useful for people that 90 seconds is very doable. You know, yeah. anyone can just be like, okay, I'm just gonna give myself 90 seconds to breathe through this and see if it passes. Yeah, so it's so nice you were doing that naturally. Yeah. And you did the, the three steps, you recognize you could feel I'm being triggered. I'm feeling maybe a change in physical sensation, the heat building up, something's happening. Then you're like, it's not appropriate to emote right now because of this situation and just taking yourself away and breathing through it and then reframing it if, if need be in that moment. What I would also say is, so that that's how I, you'd handle like managing yourself throughout the day. You kind yeah. of, whether it's simple emotions or whether it's more complex emotions, the complex emotion might be the grief, but you're working through that in the background and then you have to carry on with your day mm -hmm. and work through things. Then it's, so you have those tools that you can use and 10 breaths like you did is really nice. Slowing your breath down, whatever feels good intuitive, usually I'd veer on the kind of more calming, slow breaths, unless it's anger and we need to like, just like vent it out a little bit or shake it off. But then to actually work through what that trigger is. Mm, the deeper stuff. The deeper stuff requires a bit more intervention. And that was that, that work that I first found myself in with my mum on Mother's Day and the big start of what I do. And I talk about this in my book, Breathing, Breathe Out, because yes, we can manage our simple emotions and that's really great to have in our toolkit so that we can optimize our day and not in those moments, not contract our breathing. Mm -hmm. Allow our breathing to still be open and expansive instead of contracting to hold in, in place, to hold that, I've been triggered, well, let's hold my breath because I don't want to burst into tears. And then all of a sudden our breathing's contracted, maybe our shoulders curl mm -hmm. and we hold it in place and we, it's like we're just holding on. And our body holds on without the idea of time like our mind. We just hold on and it's vibration in the present. And we can hold on like that example I gave from nine years old until we're 70 of an experience. So it's also really important that we do the deeper work. Now the deeper work with breath work is understanding well, what is what was that trigger? Why am I being triggered in that situation? What was that? And can I work through that? 
And what I mean by this is, if we use a really simple example of triggers, because triggers is a response in a moment. So if you use a stress response, if you get stressed in a situation, the system of the body is just working like the tigers come in the room, like our ancestors, very primal. The fight or flight kicks on and we run out of the room or we fight off the tiger or we completely or we shut down and or freeze. We yeah. Or we fawn, yeah. So we have these different responses that happen in the stress response. If we switch the situation for a dog, a dog comes in the room, we see the dog, one of two things would happen. You'd run towards the dog and get excited and your breath would move and it'd expand and you'd be all happy and you'd rub the dog behind the ears and you ask what his name was and you feel elation and you feel joy. Or it'd be like the tigers come in the room and you'd run to the other side of the room or you'd freeze um, in that experience. So why do you think somebody would be scared of a dog or excited by a dog? Because of past experience. Because of past experience. So their trigger in the present is because of a past experience. It's not, yeah, you know, I'm always um, aware of that, but I'm so intrigued for the tools because I think logically and in theory, I think people can recognize or hopefully recognize that actually their response is unmeasured to the situation because it's historical. Yeah. One of my favorite teachers always uh, called Mark Groves always says, if it's hysterical, it's historical. <laughs> but I think, you know, especially in relationships or whatever it might be like, Thing that has happened to us in the past that's caused us trauma whatever it yeah. is and then something pretty small insignificant happens in the present but it sets off that response so yeah what is the kind of yeah so, so the breath the, work approach the breath work approach is basically working with the breath in more of a dynamic way using a faster paced breathing using sound using a little bit of movement of the body because when we have those experiences from the past let's say the dog nipped your hand when you were three years old <gasps> the breath holds we freeze the brain fires and wires a neural pathway and we create a belief dogs are not safe mm. so we avoid the dogs so that's the trauma experience the experience of the dog bark or bite that's a felt experience or we can have a learnt experience which is maybe your mum saying don't ever go near a dog dog will bite your hand off brain fires and wires we create a belief dogs are not safe we avoid the dogs or we have a traumatic experience like grief or um, going through a breakup or we have a build-up of small experiences that start to shape our core beliefs like kind of like little teas they're not quite traumas as we know it but being told you're not good enough or mm. your sister's better than you or whatever it is we start to create this way that we view the world so we get triggered in different situations as an adult and our breathing changes so the breathwork approach to this, what I share and teach, is well, how do we go back to this full expansive breath that we would have had when we were before life really began as a baby, before we start to hold our breath and contract and create these micro contractions in our breathing cycle where we're holding on to emotion. Is this so kind of applicable to when people have blocks around stuff? You know, when they'll be wanting to do something, whether that's a career or whatever it might be, and they find themselves sort of sabotaging or messing it up because there's something blocking, but it's so subconscious and it's so deep rooted that they're not even, it's not even in their awareness. It absolutely can help. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about breathing and breath work, we can access the unconscious mind because breath is both conscious and unconscious. So it's this bridge that we can access parts of our brain. I like to think of the cellar under the stairs that we've locked and hope we don't go into that 
drawer in the kitchen where you have all the old batteries and stuff. Mm. We hope nobody looks in there. A lot of people don't want to go there. So when people are going into your classes, when even you went into this class, presumably you didn't really have any idea that you were about to have this experience, right? No idea. And a lot of people that come and do classes with you don't either. So when that's happening to the body, how does the mind know to go to those places? It's it's interesting because different things come up and sometimes people will come in with an intention of X, Y, Z. And, they, something, and they, something completely different. completely different comes up. So you kind of have to trust it. It's all about trust. It's all about surrendering into that practice. If you go in with a control thought process, your breath starts to be controlled because your mind, your thoughts are sending a signal to your breathing in your body the whole time. Mm-hmm. And this is all, this practice is all about letting go, all letting go. Like, can we actually let go? And that happens with our out breath, dropping out of the body and breathing this certain way. So it's about transcending the body and mind, like really transcending, popping through the veil um, of the conscious mind and, and sitting in that space that is not our ordinary state of consciousness, um, being in a different space. And in that space, we can get deep healing. We can have a lot of answers to the problems that we've been trying to solve or amazing creative solutions to different things, amazing ideas. So it can be used in a number of different ways. Sometimes people come to me because of X, Y, Z, and they walk out going, "Ah, I didn't realize this is actually what the issue was and now I'm going to solve it. And I get that quite a lot with people maybe coming, trouble sleep, we've got trouble sleeping. Because that's quite a common one. Um, people struggling with insomnia. And I think we touched on this when I last saw you. How can breath work help with that? And what, what have you noticed as a as a theme that comes up for people that are struggling with sleeping? So there's probably a few different things I can answer there on sleep. This is a particular example. Somebody came to me with trouble with sleep and I shared the tools that I'll, I'll run through in a second of like, this is how to get our body relaxed so we can sleep. This is how to improve your sleep when you're asleep. If you wake up, here's some breathing techniques to calm the system. But they're in some ways like little plasters to improve getting to sleep and staying asleep. Again, I like to uncover what's happened. What's happened that has caused your sleep to be disturbed? Why isn't your body shutting down at night? A little bit of detective work around it. And I had somebody who can't sleep, can't sleep, tried everything, tried all these things. We did a deeper work session. What's a deeper work session? This breath work that I was talking okay. about. The the when we move into more of a respiratory alkalosis, trauma release breath work. Um, it's a connected breath. It's quite a dynamic. Quite evokes quite a lot of physical sensation and a lot of emotional release. Mm-hmm. And he had a powerful session. Again, I'm running through it. I'm just all I do in those sessions is I can see where the breath is trapped and open up using um, somatic release guiding the breath, saying different words to that particular person. Breath opens and it's like clockwork. When it opens into the space, I can feel trapped. Usually there's emotional release. And this particular client finished the session was like, and it was grief again for this person. His mum had come to him in that session. He'd realized it was grief and he worked through that grieving emotion in that moment, in that hour together came out of it, it was like, oh my God, and I put two and two together. And me, sometimes I'm like, how did you not put mm. two and two together? He said, I've not been sleeping since my mom died. 
And I, it felt like such an obvious thing, but he never explained that when he walked in the door. He said, I've tried everything. This is my, this is, I'm just not sleeping. I think it's work. I'm too busy. Da, da, da. Mm -hmm. All the kind of usual train of thought, mm -hmm. very valid, but then uncovered this deeper thing for him. Like, actually, no, this is it. Went home, slept through the night, slept through the night again. And and, and it's it's profound like that. There's the, like these magical experiences people have. And it's so amazing. So that it's like undercovering what is the route to my discomfort, whether it's sleep, whether that is stress, whether that is emotional pain or, or physical pain. What is it right now that I'm feeling this sense of discomfort around in mm -hmm. my day to day? Is it my mind? Is it my thoughts? I'm uncovering what is causing causing it. Is it the past? Is it the, my childhood? Has it been experiences through childhood which play a big part? Is it maybe other experiences through school or friendships or either other things or experiences like grief or change or things that the dog barks and bites, whatever they are of various sizes. So that for me is still like the main thing. People need to go and do the work and the work for me has been so profound by doing these deeper practices with people. That said, there are some really helpful tools before doing that to play with when it comes to sleep. Mm -hmm. To get to sleep, our body needs to be safe. It needs to know that there's no tiger in the room. And our unconscious mind does not know the difference that triggers our breathing, does not know the difference between the tiger in the room and the tiger in our mind. Mm -hmm. It triggers the same breathing response. So if we are sitting or we're going to bed thinking about the to-do list, what we could have done that day, what we should have done that day, um, what we got to do tomorrow, we're creating the tiger in our, in our head. We're keeping our mind busy, our body's responding. to-do list tiger. Yeah, it's, it is a big tiger. <laughs> it bites me quite a few times, actually. Um, so yeah, so how do we give ourselves the best chance to switch off? Mm -hmm. And breathing's quite binary. We can breathe faster to switch yourself on, like a double espresso, or we can breathe slow, calm, really long out breaths, triggers our vagal nerve to send a signal from our body to our brain. Everything's cool. I'm on, it's safe. There's no tigers here. There's no tigers in our mind. The tigers in the mind might pipe up again. And then we do another round of breath, another round of breath until we fall asleep. So we can do the kind of gold seals. There's the four, seven, eight breath. What does that how does that go, the four, seven? Yeah, so the four, seven, eight breath, Dr. Andrew Wheel, he says, if you practice this, you fall to sleep in 60 seconds. It's a very bold statement, and it's all anecdotal, uh, very happy, sleep happy, anecdotal uh, references. But breathing in through your nose for a count of four, using your diaphragm so your belly rises, hold for seven, and breathe out through your mouth for eight. So that out breath, that long out breath, double the length of your inhale, flicks the off switch. We move into a parasympathetic state or rest, <laughs> digest, <laughs> repair state. Um, I know I sometimes teach this in corporate settings and we're doing like four minutes of it and I can see people's heads nodding. Really? And I like people are like, oh, they get a bit embarrassed because they're working yeah. there and like, falling asleep. But I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's working. And I say that, I'm like, if you need to yawn, yawn. Like celebrate the yawns. This is good. We're, we're giving you tools that you can use to fall asleep. Um, so four, seven, eight breath, in for four, hold for seven, out for eight. The yogic way is actually to keep the tip of the tongue behind mm -hmm. our front teeth. 
Okay. Due, for the whole duration of it, where it connects energy points in the body. So okay. the out breath is a little bit harder, but it also, because it just slows it down as it passes around the tongue. So it's in for four, keep your tongue there. You can practice this if you're listening, in for four, pause for seven, and then breathe out, keeping the tongue in place for eight. So out. And on that out breath, really concentrate on letting the body become heavy, drop the shoulders, relax behind the eyes, relax the forehead, relax the jaw. And that all happens on that out breath. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? One cycle. I'm pretty chill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I can sleep anywhere. I've never had a problem with sleeping, but my boyfriend does, so I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that for him. The tongue thing is interesting because I sing, so I've been ha- and I've been doing some singing uh, lessons recently, and my biggest issue in singing is my breathing because it's when I get my most nervous, and so I stop breathing and the breath I cut it up so I also like won't take it in when I need to and it won't it's like the key mm. but um my teacher has told me she's like keep your tongue by your teeth when you're singing and I don't know why but it's made such a big difference interesting what well, yeah. when you're singing they were breathing in I don't know so the tongue by my teeth has meant that I'm started to breathe more I don't know why or, or you'd be using your nose to breathe if the tongue's by the teeth well, that kind of brings me on to my next question is, where are we supposed to be breathing in our nose, through our nose and out through our mouth? Or does it not really matter? Because ma- sometimes someone said you're supposed to actually only be breathing through your nose. That someone will be me right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah. you just said to, to breathe out the mouth for that eight exhale. So there's different times we'll do different things. And quick snapshot, the nose is designed for breathing filters the air, gets the right temperature, moisture to your lungs, cleans out any airborne stuff, bacteria, germs, anything at all, and viruses. We've got a cavity for nitric oxide, which is a gas that opens up our blood vessels, so it helps with circulation, but it also kills off airborne bacteria and viruses as well. So our nose gives us the best chance of optimizing the air that arrives at our lungs, so it's not too hot or cold, and cleans the air as best as possible. In the book, I actually talk about the nose being the bouncer for the club, which is the which is the lungs, um, is like the way that. I sometimes think about it. So in breath, the size of these little guys. He's pointing at his nostrils, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah, the, the size of these little guys compared to our mouth means we breathe a lot slower. Slow breath means we feel calm. Mm-hmm. Breathing slow and calm our mind will follow, it will feel slow and calm. Not slow meaning like we can't think, but actually the opposite, but we just feel calm. Mm-hmm. So when we're breathing through our nose, in filters the air, slows the rate at which we breathe and gets the air primed. Out breath, our nose captures moisture and heat leaving the body. If we breathe out through the nose. Or we can breathe out through the mouth and we can do different things. I mean, speaking right now, as we yeah. speak, it's just an audible out breath. Mm-hmm. But where people, when they're speaking, I've noticed you doing this as well. And people can check this when they're listening. A lot of times people gasp for air through their mouth in between sentences. Mm. Well, that's what I do when I'm singing as well. And it's not Yeah. Good. Yeah. When we gasp for air through our mouth, the times we do that is an emergency. Okay. So wander out here, 
step off the pavement onto the road and the cyclist is about to hit me, what do I do? <gasps> Big gasp of air, triggers my stress response, blood flow moves to my muscles, I leap to the pavement back to safety. Mm-hmm. That's when we, so our mouth breath will save our life in those moments of stress. If we're spending our day talking a lot, breathing through our mouth, talking a lot, breathing through our mouth, singing like la 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 la, la 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 la, we're just triggering the stress response. <laughs> Sounds exhausting. That's no wonder I'm so anxious all the time. <laughs> and we're probably breathing too much. Breathing too much changes the chemistry of our body. The pH will change. Our brain gets used to this pattern. We get stuck in a bad pattern of breathing. This is where like the breathing links between thinking, feeling, and chemistry. Mm-hmm. It's it's all interlinked. So back to your question. Yes, in and out through your nose as much as you possibly can. If you're speaking, breathe in through your nose and out through the mouth as much as you can. If you're excited or you're trying to get a point across, you'll naturally maybe start speaking through your mouth a bit more. But if you can consciously switch to in through the nose and talk out through your mouth, okay. you'll come across more considered and you'll feel calm, collected and under control. Oh. And when you're singing, which will be why your singing teacher has got the tongue there. To stop it, me. The tongue's there, you're not gonna breathe in through the mouth, yeah. so you breathe in through the nose. When it comes to anxiety, because I feel like that's something that people are, you know, struggling with more than ever at the moment. How, what are the tools that they can have on a more sort of day-to-day basis on breath work to help alleviate that? Because, you know, from my own personal experience. Um, did you see what you did there? I just gasped. Big gas of air through your mouth. <laughs> I did, didn't yeah. I? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my, oh God. So I'm going to keep noticing it. I, n- I had no idea that I did that. But yeah, from my own personal experience, I um <laughs> trying to breathe through my nose now. It feels really weird. The thing is I do when I'm not talking. Yeah. But not when I'm talking. But anyway. It I mean it. it takes a while to practice if you've been doing something like anything. Yeah. It's day in, day out. You can slow down and just start breathing through your nose. It won't mm. happen all the time. I mean I but I try and get people to really be conscious about breathing through the nose as much as they possibly can. As much as they can. Okay. Oh, whoops, I just did the golf thing again. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, don't think about oranges. <laughs> That's all you can think about. But when I'm um, with the anxiety piece, I can sort of get in a bad loop and start spinning out on thoughts, which then will manifest in the body. And then that will sort of set off the thoughts and it can all sort of start spiraling. I don't really know that much. I'm learning a lot more, obviously, from speaking to you, but I there's like a breathwork thing, which is like blocking one nostril, which I would do, would go to do it. Now. It's become a bit of a joke because every time I'm feeling anxious, I start touching my nose. So my boyfriend's like, why touching your nose again? Because I guess every time I feel a bit anxious, I get ready to do that, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Mm. So, for myself and also anyone listening that you know gets into that state where they start spinning and then start catastrophizing, what are some really useful tools to kind of reground them and anchor them and stop that? Yeah, that emotion, emotional spiraling. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, because of negative bias, because our mind and body is always trying to keep us safe, 
unless we're doing something to stop it, we will always slightly negative spiral. Mm-hmm. It's a natural human trait because we're always looking out for danger, danger, tigers and bears that aren't even there. So we kind of need to work to kind of positively spiral because we can positively spiral as well mm-hmm. because our thoughts are repeated. So it's it's really nice when we start using some of these techniques. So in terms of breathing, if we start feeling stressed or anxious, the thoughts start spinning. The brain sends a signal to our body. Sorry, backtrack. Anxiety we could call as a state of being. Mm-hmm. My state of being is I'm feeling anxiety. Now a state of being is a product of thinking and feeling. When our thinking and feeling match, it creates our state of being. Got that? Mm-hmm. Hence what I was saying about the, the mind then creating the physical feeling and then that physical feeling creating more thoughts in the mind. And Yeah, and it's a spiral, like you said. Mm-hmm. So let's take anxiety. I'm thinking an anxious thoughts. So the thinking's happened. The thinking has sent a signal to my body to say, whoa, we're anxious. So the body's responded with anxiety, with a stress response. The tiger's now in the room. Our breathing changes. We either hold our breath or our breathing becomes short and shallow. There's some sort of physiological change that happened. Heart rate might change. We might start to sweat. We might feel different. That then sends a signal back to the brain and says, yep, check. We're anxious. State being is anxiety. Now, have a cup of tea. And then really start spinning out. That's what I do. (laughs) Well, what we can do is either we can work with our minds Mm -hmm. or dive in and work with our body using our breath and skew the signal because if we break that loop then the state of being doesn't happen Mm -hmm. so if we change our thoughts easier said than done when we're in a a negative spiral that's why i just jump in and change our breathing so what you were practicing doing your nose breath yeah if that works for you absolutely was it one side or was it Mm -hmm. both sides one side just Just into the left Yeah, we have different nostrils trigger different parts of our nervous system. Left is parasympathetic, right is sympathetic. So our left nostril, breathing into your left, will trigger a calm response. Mm -hmm. So that is a good good move, if that's been working for you. What I usually tell people to do is just something that I do any time I feel anxious or stressed, and it switches it super quick, is starts with a phrase, if in doubt, breathe it out. Having a longer out-breath than your in-breath triggers the off switch. Mm-hmm. It sends a signal from our body to our heart. Our heart rate slows down. Then that the signal of slow breathing, slower heart rate, brain says, oh, we're not actually anxious. The mind might throw another anxious thought, which means we just need to keep on practicing the technique. So the technique usually that I go for, a bit similar to the four, seven, eight breath, but it's just in for four through our nose, hold for four, and then out for eight through our mouth. Okay, let's do it with everyone. Yeah. Okay, so breathe in for four. Feel your belly rise. Hold for four. Just keep calm and still on the hold. Then breathe out through your mouth for eight. Let your shoulders drop. Good, let's go again. So in for four. Pause and hold for four. Breathe out for eight. See if you can drop your shoulders even more. And then just melt down. It's that out breath where we start to feel calm. Should we do two more? In for four. Pause and hold for four. 
This time as you breathe out for eight, relax behind your eyes. Good, one more, in for four. Pause and hold for four. And breathe out for eight through your mouth, relax your whole body, your face, your jaw, your forehead, shoulders, arms, legs. And when you're ready, you can come back in the room. I feel good. I'm gonna be doing that 10 times a day. Yeah. <laughs> so for people that are listening that perhaps that this has awakened something in them and the awareness that they have something that they really need to shift, perhaps something that they've been carrying for a really long time, whether that be grief or shame or whatever it might be, and they want to take the steps to kind of move that out, what should they be doing? Because I know you, you mentioned that it's important that it's in a safe space. It's one thing doing these day-to-day -day exercises, but for the more deep, mm. un, you know, uprooting these kind of core wounds, where should they begin? Yeah, it's um, something I really tried to capture in my book. Mm -hmm. Like, how can I take people's hand through words on a page in a really safe way to allow them to go where they need to go so that they can, by reading the book, picking it up, working through the exercises in the book, by the end of the book, they could have that transformation. That they and can facilitate it for themselves. That they can facilitate for themselves, which is really empowering. Mm. And for, for me, my most powerful experiences of breathwork were by myself. Really? But that was after I'd kind of You've been to the classes. Been to class, or I just understood. It wasn't yeah. so much been to the classes. It was understood. Because breathing is unconscious, it will only take us where we can go. Like yeah. it, will, it will override if, if need be, if, or, if it will stop us doing something we shouldn't. I did Google during my research as well. I was like, can you hold your, can you die holding your breath? <laughs> you can't. Like it will click in. It will, it will override your, your conscious mind of going, I wouldn't even trying to attempt it. Don't try and attempt that if you're listening. <laughs> But um, I, I was just intrigued. I was like, wow, maybe could, could that happen? So that, like, the body kind of knows where it needs to go. And it's always trying to find homeostasis, trying to find balance the whole time. So the big steps happened already, I think, for anybody that's gone, I've now got the awareness of this is, might be the issue, mm -hmm. which is more than some people have when they come to see me. They just, uh, if they're uncovering some of the deeper parts of themselves, the traumas, the past, the experiences, they... And the experiences, we've kind of gone down trauma. Sometimes it's like people don't allow themselves to feel good mm. because they've been squashed every time they felt good when they were younger. And so they start to think, I'm not, it's not okay to fully feel joy. I'm not allowed to feel my good. I can relate to that. And it's that, it's about empowering people to actually feel their best. And that's amazing when we can start doing that. So breathwork has had a big surge. There's a lot of different breathwork instructors out there now, which is amazing, but do homework before going to to see somebody because like anything, there's fast tracks to go and we're dealing with deep-rooted traumas and parts of ourselves that can come out in these sessions. And um, so just make sure you feel comfortable, safe, and you you know that what that person is all about before doing a session. Um, that said, I really, th that was the big challenge when I wrote the book, like I really wanted to, do what I do in a really safe way 
so that I could guide people through this process by themselves and empower them to have that change by themselves. So we start off with like understanding what your breathing says about you, figuring out how you're breathing, what your breathing archetype is, because that might be what we're holding on to. If we're breathing a certain way, we're holding on down here, then that might um, be causing our behavior and our patterns and our, even our personality just by In the what way. way? Because our breathing triggers our feeling. So if I start breathing like this, I'm going to start feeling quite elated and, or a bit anxious or whatever. If I breathe very slow, like we just practice, I'm going to start to feel calm and, and relaxed. So our breathing maps our emotional experience. It moves and flows through any time we have an experience, triggers our breathing, our breathing moves as part of that experience. We expand and the emotion cycles through. Now, if we have a feeling, I mean, maybe trap it, or we have a feeling that lasts. So a feeling is linked to breathing. A feeling that lasts, let's say a week, we call it a mood. A mood that lasts a couple of months, we call it a temperament. A temperament that lasts a couple of years, we start to say, well, that's to personality trait. So if we backtrack, it actually goes back down to how we felt in a moment, and that comes down to our breathing. So it's something that people come to me quite a lot when we talked about anxiety is people say, I'm just an anxious person. person yeah. And you can have dis um, anxiety disorder in many cases, and it can be chemistry involved, but a lot of people that come through my door, they say it as they walk through the door, you know, I'm just an anxious person. I'm like, ah! Most times you've had an experience that's caused anxiety, that anxiety has persisted, and now we say, this is just me. Mm -hmm. And what I say was, actually, it's, it's not just you. We can actually unwind some of this stuff. We can let go of whatever that experience was in the first place that trapped our breathing in this state. And now become an identity piece. And now become your identity and shift it through. So if you, that's a very basic example, but we can start to see where someone holds their breath, even in their posture, we can start to paint a picture of how they're interacting in the world. How? Because our breathing triggers the way we are, our energy's flowing, how our measure of feeling. And um, if we've got, for instance, use myself as an example again, if when I went into my breathing session, that first one with my mum, if anybody saw me, physio or maybe doctor, look at my breathing, you look at it and go, yeah, he's breathing fine. Or breathing with my diaphragm, breathing through my nose, as much as I, maybe not as much as I do now, but I was relatively good breather. Yet I had no movement in my chest. Yeah. It was all down here. Because what happens in our chest, well, there's a heart space. This is about feeling. Mm -hmm. So if I wasn't breathing in here, I'd close this down because I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to feel grief. So my grieving experience was complete withdrawal, a kind of freeze response, not getting out of bed, not want to speak to anybody, or complete outburst, anger, because I knew that anger in my mind and body, anger was okay, mm -hmm. or just shut off and don't speak to anybody. They were the two responses, because I hadn't allowed myself to feel. Now, grief was that trigger for that experience, but why couldn't I feel to my, my truest in that moment? was because of the dog bark and bite that happened when I was younger. Big boys don't cry. I went, I was on a judo mat at four years old, trained to win, be the tough guy. Judo teacher was called Superman. My teddy bear was called Tough Ted. Like you can start to see growing up in Scotland, 
the persona that I was that men don't cry. Mm-hmm. We can we can have anger and we can shout and scream, or we keep it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when I became an, and that worked for me. This notion of strength worked for me through my career and through different times until this grieving moment. That notion of strength crumbled. Yeah. But where it was held was actually in my chest. And a lot of the time I try and get people not breathing in their chest, but for me, it was kind of the opposite. Breathing very grounded, very solid. I'm here, very present. But you needed but to get into a heart space. I couldn't, there was no movement into my heart space. My heart completely closed down. Now you can see this with people just walking down the street. Might be someone with like a frozen breathing. Their posture is curled, their heart is protected. Mm-hmm. They're doing their best to protect their heart. I'm kind of curling my shoulders here and protecting my heart like this. Or you get um, yeah, collapsed breathers or different archetypes. This is what I talk about early on in the book to identify what type of breather you are. And that identification might come by looking at how you're breathing, but also just looking a bit of our past and saying, oh, yeah. actually what's happened to maybe cause me to be this archetype. And even the good breathers the, can be very controlled. The yogis can be very controlled because they practice so well to control their breath, but they find it really hard to let go. Mm-hmm. So because their breath is so controlled because of their practice, they become very good at maybe putting that plaster on, but often there's something there underlying. Um, so it's a, that journey for them is about letting go of control. So really good place to start is like understanding this part of the book, this, the kind of simple fix, working the stress, understanding pain, working through the simple emotions. We talked about recognize, breathe, reframe technique, and then once we've got these techniques, that kind of base level knowledge and understanding, know about the science, we can start moving into this deeper process, which I do as a 40 day daily practice, 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, usually in the morning of this certain practice of breath with intention to allow ourselves to release whatever it is we need to release so that we can fully feel what we need to feel. I love that. My heaven, like everyone, we're all going to do the 40 day challenge. Let's do it. <laughs> we should do it. Yeah. Okay. And so where, where can everyone get the book? Because I feel like everyone's going to want it. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the book is available in all good bookstores. Uh, Waterstones, Amazon as well online. Um, there's an audio version too. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'll put a link in the show notes because I think, yeah, the audio must be like super useful for people that maybe want that sort of feeling of you talking them through it a bit more. Yeah, so the audio, they're they're slightly different because the book has pictures, Mm -hmm. images, some of the exercises come to life through visuals on the page Mm -hmm. and there's diagrams and there's tables. The audio, we've got the exercise brought to life. Yeah. So in the book, the exercise might say, repeat four times, but in the actual audio one, I do, we repeat it four times times in an actual exercise. Um, which is really helpful. Um, so there's, there's kind of good in both of them. Yeah, well, we'll put a link in the show notes and thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like I've learned so much and also for sharing your story because that was very special and very vulnerable, I'm sure. I think it would have helped a lot of people, so thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. I hope you found this episode as moving as I did and that you can take something away from it in your day-to-day life you know it's a very simple practice but if we could just start our morning checking in with our breath and how that might impact the rest of our day 
I was also really surprised to hear how much, you know, people can carry grief and these very old emotions and actually through breath work that's with someone like Stuart, you can uncover these old emotions in a way that talking therapy can't. And it's something that seems to be creeping up in many areas of conversations I've had with people over the last couple of months, whether that be on the podcast or you know, talks I've been going to, is this the somatics, the language of the body, the dialogue between the body and the mind. And because we have been living so from the neck up, we store everything in our body and we don't know how to release it. And actually, there are ways, and it's important that we do. And so I hope that you found this episode useful with some helpful techniques of how to do this. I also have been actioning and using the very simple term, but effective one that Stuart said of when in doubt, breathe it out. And on many moments recently, it has calmed me down tremendously. And like I said, to him when I feel my emotions can hijack me, actually using my breath to regulate my nervous system when I feel activated has been incredible. I think I look a little bit mad when I'm doing it because I'm sort of just suddenly breathing and not really moving that much. <laughs> but I found it really helpful actually in being able to communicate my truth. So, you know, when people think about breath work, I think they think of it as a quite simple thing. And actually, I hope that this conversation has touched on the fact that actually it goes incredibly deep and it's a very intimate thing. You know, this idea that throughout one day, it's likely that you'll breathe a molecule of oxygen of everyone on the planet and how intimate that is and how interconnected we all are. So I will leave you with that. And if you want to hear more from Stuart, you can find him on Instagram at breathpod or at breathpod.com. If you would like to dive deeper into the world of Saturn returns and astrology, we would love you to be part of the community. You can sign up to the newsletter below or you can get a reading with Nora where she deep dives into your chart. And also... I would love to see you at our shows in January on the 18th and 19th in Chelsea and in Manchester. So if you would like to come and meet me there for a magical and cosmic evening and meet some of the community, it would be wonderful to see you. And you can find link in the show notes. And the final thing is that my book, Saturn Returns, is now available for pre-order. So you can buy that and it will be with you in January or you can buy it with a ticket and you will get a signed copy at the shows. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Saturn Returns. We really get discovered by you guys sharing it with your friends, your colleagues, your family. So please do keep sharing the show, whether that be on social media or just sending it privately in a message to someone who you think will find it useful. It also really helps when you write a review on Apple. Not only do I really like reading your messages, but it also helps us get discovered by more like-minded people. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Saturn Returns, and remember, you are not alone. Goodbye. <laughs>